right, church, well, I invite you to open up to Romans chapter 8, and preschoolers, you are dismissed. And as we start into the Word this morning, uh, let's pray. Father, we desire to give thanks to you with our whole hearts this morning. As we consider your word, as we consider who you are and the wonderful things that you have done, we ask for your help, that you would help us be glad in you and exult in you this morning as we look at your word, for we know, God, that you sit enthroned forever and you rule your world with justice and righteousness and uprightness, making all your enemies your footstool. We put our trust in you and in your word once again this morning. You are our stronghold. You have the words of life that we run to. And you do not forget our tears and our prayers. We invite you to afflict us and comfort us with your word this morning as you see fit. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 8. 31 says, What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? What a glorious verse we have come to this morning. Amen, church? This has been the life verse of many a Christian, and if you don't have a good go-to verse yourself, this one would be one I would recommend along with a number of ones throughout Romans 8. For this is the verse that many Christians have clung to on their deathbed or in the midst of persecution or suffering. For it is a rhetorical question that Paul is asking. It's not so much that he's saying, if God is for us, but rather, for those who have trusted in Christ, it is since God is for us. And we learned last week that for those who love God, God works all things together for their good. And last week we learned that their good does not necessarily mean their comfort or their temporary pleasure or even their health, but instead the good that God has predestined us for is being conformed to the image of Christ. The end destination and the good that God is working all things together for is ultimately the glory that God is going to reveal to us and through us. By God's gracious providence, all things are being worked together to get us to glory and to that day of resurrection. We also learned last week that we are part of this unbreakable plan that for those whom he foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified, and he will also glorify. What a glorious promise and what an unbreakable plan that us as believers have received and are a part of. Paul then says then in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? For those who love God and for those who trust in Jesus Christ for life and salvation, God is for you. God is for you. And that is a beautiful truth. But I do feel like it's a truth that has been abused, if not clarified, in the context of this entire passage. Because I think you would agree that we all have a propensity to be really into ourselves. 
don't we? The sin that still dwells in us, it causes us to want to turn in on ourselves and be all about us. And so some people can hear the phrase that God is for you, and they can misinterpret that to mean that God is for your sin, or he's for your selfishness, or he's for your comfort, or that God is just all about you. That yes, we know he said this and that, but at the end of the day, God must want for me what I think is best for me. And therefore, the wonderful truth of God being for us can get twisted into something really weird and unbiblical and unhealthy. Us, us living in an individualistic culture that views everything through this lens of it's all about me, a verse that says God is for me could be misinterpreted as God is all about me. And we could be prone to think, well, of course he is. Everything is all about me. My church is all about me. My marriage is all about me. My life is all about me. The Bible is all about me. And so as we start this morning, allow me to lovingly clarify something this morning that will help everything in life make more sense to you and will hopefully free you to experience more joy in the Lord. And that is the truth that it is not all about you. The Bible is not primarily about you. We get in all sorts of interpretation problems when we try to make it all about us. The Bible is not primarily about you. It's about God. Life is not primarily about you. It's about God. And sometimes that's hard to hear, but it's actually very freeing. It's very joy-giving to lean into that reality. And so listen, when Paul says that God is for you, he's not saying that God is all about you. No, he is for you, and he loves you, and he wants what is best for you. He is working all things for your ultimate good, but what is best for you is for you to be all about him. For he is the supreme treasure in the universe. He is the best thing that he could ever give you. God is for you, but he's not all about you. He's for you being all about him because that is what is best for you. And he does love you, and he is for you. So this morning in these verses that follow, we're going to see these wonderful truths that flow from God being for us because he is. God is for us. But what we'll also see is how we can miss out on the joy of experiencing these truths when we make it all about us. And so this is where we're going this morning. First, we'll see that since God is for us, we need not fear any opposition or obstacle that comes against us. Secondly, we'll see since God is for us, we must not allow condemning accusations to weigh us down. And finally, since God is for us, we must believe that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We must not fear opposition. We must not allow accusations to weigh us down. And we must believe that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ because God is for us, church. So that's where we're going. 
And let's go. Let's go. Uh, Romans 8, verse 31. Since God is for us, we need not fear any opposition or obstacle that comes against us. Look with me at, eight, at Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Graciously give us all things. Since God is for us, who can be against us, church? Now, this is not saying that there won't be opposition or obstacles that come against us in in our life, in the work that Christ calls us to. No, church, we will have opposition. We will have obstacles. Paul's not saying that. He's saying since God is for us, there is no opponent or obstacle that can stand against us and prevail. Church, in our, in our following after Christ and carrying out his mission in his world to disciple the nations and bring about the obedience of faith, we will face opposition and obstacles. Christians always still seem a bit surprised by this, but we will. We will face opposition and obstacles. One opposition we have is that we do have an enemy who will oppose the work of God in the world. We also still have the presence of sin still in our flesh that the Spirit is warring against. We also have hardships and suffering that come our way that could oppose what God is working in us and through us. Even death itself is still somewhat an opponent that we have, don't we? I mean, think about how much more effective and efficient the church would be if people didn't keep dying. I mean, some of these doctrines in Scripture, they take 30, 40, 50, 70 years to try to get our minds around, and then once we sort of start to get life figured out, we pass on to glory. And the next generation has to wrestle with some of the same things. And so he's not saying that we don't have people or things or obstacles who will oppose us and the work that God has called us to. No, we will. But Paul is saying, since God is for us, none will prevail against us. But what are we tempted to say and think when opposition comes our way or when obstacles come our way, whether it be of the enemy or the world or even our own sinful flesh? Well, I know, I know what I say and think when opposition or an obstacle comes. My first response is oftentimes, God, I don't think I have what it takes to withstand this. I don't think I have the energy, the resources, the giftedness, the ability to, to, to withstand this obstacle or opposition. Now listen, church, God has called you to follow Jesus and carry out his mission in the world. And when opposition comes, as it surely will, do not make it all about you. It's not about you. God is for you. And even when opponents come against you, God is for you. And your opponents and obstacles will not prevail, not because of you, but because of God. Look at what Paul says to comfort us in the midst of opposition. He, he comforts our fear of opposition and obstacles with the gracious generosity of God. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, 
but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? When you call into question whether or not you are going to have what it takes to carry out what God has called you to, even as opposition and obstacles come your way, God's word does not say dig deeper and try harder. God's word says look to the cross and see the gracious generosity of our God who has not withheld anything from you that you need. He has already given you the greatest gift he could give you by giving himself up on the cross in your place. And if that is true, will he not also graciously give us all things needed for life and salvation in any opposition or obstacle we might face? Jesus Christ willingly went to the cross and was lifted up so that no enemy or opposition could prevail against us, church. I mean, think about this. If Christ died for you when you opposed God, all right, we've learned in Romans that he died for us while we were still enemies of God. If Christ died for you when you opposed God, if he's that good and he's that gracious, will he not also give us all we need now that we are his friends? Now that we are children of God. And I feel like I get to experience this to some degree week in and week out when it comes to one of the tasks that God has given me in my life. And for right now, that's the task of preaching. And as much as I do love and enjoy preaching, I really do, and I'm, I'm grateful for this opportunity. So many, so many good, precious things to me in the preparation of preaching and in the actual act of preaching But I'll be honest with you, for the last five years, at the end of every Sunday morning, I walk away from here thinking, God, I don't know if I can do that again. (laughs) Like, I feel like I just emptied myself of everything I know. My brain's not that big. All I know, I just just kind of gave it out there. All, All the stories I could tell, all the application points I could make, all the things that I had, I've just emptied myself of it. God... I think you're still calling me to this, but I don't think I have what it takes to face this next week. Because I know with this task of preaching, not only, yes, is there the writing of the sermon, but probably the more difficult part of it in sermon preparation is is preparing my own heart to preach. And I know that as I'm preparing my own heart, there's going to be opposition that comes my way by the enemy and by the world and by my sinful flesh. And in those times, I can feel like, God, I don't know if I have the strength to see this through. Now, thankfully, I have the Holy Spirit and a godly wife who lovingly remind me, yeah, you don't have the strength to see this through. But God does. That's kind of the whole point of Christianity, right? And then God faithfully throughout the week fills me and equips me for what, what I need to what he's, for what I need for what he's called me to do. Now I share that with you because I think we can all feel that way at times. You probably all feel that to some degree come Sunday night if you've got a Monday morning job that starts. With whatever God has called you to do throughout the week, you can feel this at times. God, I 
I don't know if I have the strength to carry on. Because all of us, we have different oppositions and obstacles that come our way, whether it's difficult people or our own sinful desires, the enemy working his chaos and confusion and division, and we can think, how can I stand against this opposition? I'm not sure I'm strong enough to, God. How can I carry on this work that God has called me to, whether it's as a pastor or as a homeschooling mom or as an electrician or as running a business or witnessing to your neighbors or teaching kids or discipling friends or hosting a city group or serving in a ministry? You can see all those oppositions and obstacles ahead of you and you can think, God, I don't know if I'm strong enough to carry on this work that you've called me to. God, I don't know if I have the energy, the ability, or the resources to see this thing through. But church, listen, in that moment, in that moment, that's not the time to dig deeper, at least into yourself. In that moment, may you look to the cross and see that God is for you. May you look to the cross and see the gracious generosity of God to supply what we needed just when we needed it. If he did not spare his own son on the cross, will he not supply us with what we need for what he has called us to? One of the maybe obstacles or things that we see ahead of us for us as a church family is even just praying about knowing what to do as we've 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 grown some in number and and we've started to fill this room out certain weeks more than others and none of us has the desire to just grow for growth's sake we're trying to seek to be a healthy church to multiply disciples to get god's word to god's people to care and shepherd for to those that come in here And so right now, us as elders and in our Thursday morning prayer times and in our city groups, and I'd invite you all into this as well, is to be praying about, okay, God, what what, what is next? Maybe we'll be here for the next 30 years. I don't know. I want my heart to be ready and open to that. And maybe he does unite all of our hearts in that, but I want our hearts to be united in that. And I don't want to be fearful about obstacles or oppositions we see coming and fear that, no, we don't have the lack of resources. We don't have the space. We don't have the things to do, to do what God is calling us to do. I want us to be united around the fact, trusting in the Lord, that God will provide us what we need just when we need it because he has been graciously generous to us. So please be praying for us as a church that our hearts would be united in and that we would not be making decisions out of fear or pride or anything like that, but that we would be united in what he would have for us next. Hudson uh, Taylor once wrote this uh, quote we'll have on the screen that's been an encouragement to me. He said, depend upon it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supplies. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supplies. God will give us all things needed to complete his work in the face of opposition and obstacles. 
Therefore, do not fear opposition or obstacles, church. Do not fear lack of resources or energy or your ability to persevere. God will give us all things needed to get to glory. Our God is a generous God who supplies all our needs and prepares a table of provisions for us, even in the face of our enemies. Since God is for us, we need not fear any opposition or obstacle that comes against us. But there is a strategy that our opposition typically uses to weigh us down in our following Christ and carrying out his mission in his world. And many Christians have been hindered by or tangled up in or weighed down by this. And God, through the Apostle Paul, I believe, wants to free us from this this morning because God is for us. Look with me at the next few verses in Romans 8, 33. He says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Oh, church, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That word elect means God's chosen ones, referring to believers. Now, we've already learned at the start of Romans 8 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And here, once again, we are reminded that there is no charge that will stand against those who have been justified by God through faith in Christ. Now, just like opposition, though, he's saying that accusations and charges, he's not saying that these things aren't going to come our way. They will. But he's saying that since God is for you, there is no accusation that can condemn you in the courtroom of God. But church, be assured, accusations will come your way. They will come from the enemy. They will come from the world. They will even come from your own heart and conscience at times. Even our own heart and conscience will condemn us at times. One of the names that given to the enemy of our souls is the accuser of the brethren. And many times he will seek to weigh us down in following Christ and carrying out his mission, not first through tempting us to sin, but oftentimes he first accuses us and then brings about temptation to sin after that. But it's typically the accusation that I give in to first that weighs me down in following after Christ. Here are maybe a couple accusations that some of us have heard before in our own heads or even from other people. Have you ever heard this one before? Um, you are a failure and you will always fail. And when we don't counter an accusation with truth, we become weighed down by it sometimes to the point of committing sin, sometimes to the point of not doing what we know God has called us to? What about, what about this accusation? Um, they would never love you if they really knew you. I mean, how many a brother or sister in Christ 
has missed out on or been slowed down in experiencing Christian fellowship because they believe that one. Or or how about this one? Um, God could never use you after what you've done. Anyone heard that one before? Or how about this? How about when the world starts accusing us and calling us bigots? What about when our sermons are labeled hate speech? What about when our reputations are hurt as a result of being Christians? Paul's not saying that accusations are not going to come our way. Paul's not saying that some of us won't be condemned to execution in the courtrooms of men because of our faith. This is the story of many Christians. They have been condemned to execution in the courtrooms of men because of their faith. Paul's not saying that that can't happen or won't happen. What he's saying is that since God is for us, no charge against us is going to stand up in the only courtroom that really matters, and that is the courtroom of God. Since God is for us, these condemning charges and accusations are thrown out. Because here's where we need to be reminded again to not make it all about us. Some of you have been weighed down in your walk with Christ because you think you can't progress forward with Christ or you think you can't take part in Christ's work until you no longer struggle with sin, weaknesses, or insecurities. I mean, what? (laughs) Don't make this all about you. Yes, a Christian should see more and more victory over sin. Yes, a Christian should not surrender to sin, but should fight it by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit. Yes, we still need to confess sin and turn from it, but no accusation can condemn us before God. And why can we say that? Because the not guilty verdict that was rendered, that we received in God's sight, was not rendered because of our righteousness. Look at what he says in verse 33. He says, don't make this all about you. He says, it is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. He's the one who went and paid the price for your sins. More than that, who was raised, his resurrection, proving that the Father was pleased and appeased by his death in your place. And this Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father interceding for you right now. You have an advocate who's on your side interceding for you, advocating for you in the presence of the Father. What better legal representation could you want? Jesus is there interceding for you. But you say, no, These accusations I have going on, even in my own head, they're too bad. There's no way I can move past them. Let me remind you who God is using to write these words to us. You don't think Paul had some self-condemning thoughts at times? You don't think he remembered and had nightmares of standing by and approving of Stephen getting rocks thrown at him until he dies? You don't think as he got up to to preach before a congregation that he didn't have some self-condemning thoughts going on in his mind, knowing that he's getting ready to preach in front of families who he had persecuted and imprisoned some of their family members in the past. You think God still can't 
use you because of what, of what you've done or what you struggle with? I say this, I say this in love. Get over yourself. It is God who justifies. It is Jesus who died and was raised and who is interceding for you. It's not all about you. It is God who justifies, and he has justified you through faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, no condemning accusation from the enemy or the world or even yourself can stand up in the courtroom of God because God is for you. He's for you. But sometimes it doesn't feel like God is for us, does it? Sometimes it feels like he is against us or that he has abandoned us. And I love that God's word and the experience of many believers in the past can be honest about this and acknowledge that, yes, sometimes it does not always feel like God is for us. Paul is is about to quote here in this passage from Psalm 44. And I want to read to you a few verses from Psalm 44. We'll have them on the screen. So that you see this reality that sometimes it does not feel like God is for us. Psalm 44, starting in verse 17, the psalmist says, All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you. And we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed your way. He, he, he's about to get to the point where he talks about we're sheep being slaughtered, all right? But he's saying, hey, we, we haven't forgotten you, God. We haven't turned from your ways. I could understand this suffering if, if, if that were the case, if we were you know, going off in this wrong direction and forgetting you and you were bringing us back in the right way, but, but we're suffering and we've been faithful. Is this you being for us? And look at verse 22 of Psalm 44. This is the verse that Paul quotes, Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake. Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us. For the sake of your steadfast love. Have you ever felt like this? God, wake up. Wake up. This is not a unique human experience. Even Jesus' disciples in the same boat of God in the flesh cry out, Jesus, wake up. Don't you care that we are perishing? Don't you care your people are perishing? And it's in those moments when it doesn't feel like God is for us that you must know and believe what he's about to teach us in Romans, church. Because there will be plenty of times where it does not feel like God is for you. And you must know and believe these next verses. Look with me at Romans 8, 35. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Another rhetorical question here. The answer is no one and nothing will separate us from the love of Christ, not even suffering. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, not even suffering. God is for us even when it doesn't feel like he is. I've reminded you who's writing this. Let me remind you who he's writing this to. He's writing this to Roman Christians, some of which will one day be human lanterns for Nero's garden parties. He's telling them that God is for them. Man, that's a, that's a hard truth to really, God is for me when they're about to light the flame. Some of these people he's writing to are going to meet their end in the Colosseum because they believe Jesus is Lord. That's a difficult truth to grab onto when you're in the tunnel about to meet your death for sport, seemingly a purposeless death. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall He says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Right? The Christian can at times ask, God, are we just sheep to be slaughtered in this suffering? Verse 37. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Think think of it this way. To be a conqueror would mean that these things that oppose us are defeated by us and lay dead at our feet. Okay, that would be a conqueror. But to be more than a conqueror means that those things that have been defeated are not just defeated, but they actually get up to now serve us. Paul's saying, hey, I know sometimes it doesn't feel like God is for us. Paul's saying, I, I get it. I've been imprisoned. I've been shipwrecked. I'm getting bitten by snakes. And I'm doing good things. He's not, like, he's not running an uh, you know, international drug smuggling cartel or something like this. He's trying to spread the gospel, and all these things are happening to him. But what Paul is doing here is he's showing us how great the love of God is in that suffering does not mean that God has separated himself from us. No, in all these things we just read, we are more than conquerors which means that God is using all these things and all things to serve our ultimate good and to get us to glory. All these things that he just listed now serve us so that we can serve Christ. These things that we could be tempted to think are separating us from the love of God are actually serving us, church. They are actually God's way of holding fast onto us and allowing us to know and experience and depend upon his love in a deeper and more meaningful way. 
Since God is for us, nothing and no one is able to separate us from the love of God. Nothing in death or in life, he says. No enemy or demon or anything in the spiritual realm could, he says. Nothing presently and nothing in our future, he says. He says nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, God loves us. God is for us. But he doesn't promise that he'll never afflict us. He doesn't promise that suffering won't come our way. But he does promise that this suffering is not going to separate us from the love. He promises that this suffering is not going to separate us from his love. It is actually solidifying us in his love. We are more than conquerors. God loves us so much that this suffering has now become our servant. And I know saying that, it can feel a bit unusual for us to have servants. Most of you probably don't. We don't have servants at home, okay? We're not used to it. Kind of feels like a weird thing. But these things, all these things are now like servants to us that God has given us to help us serve him. Tribulation and distress, those things do not separate God's kids from his love. God has now made those things our servants. We are more than conquerors. Romans chapter 8 has, has, you know, it's coming to this glorious conclusion, and it's been all about, all throughout the chapter, has been about the absolute security we have as children of God. We are his children, we are co heirs with Christ, we are royalty. And here, once again, we are assured of this absolute security we have as children of God that the sufferings of this present time are not separating us from God's love. They have now become our servants. They are God's way of loving us and getting us to glory. They now can serve us so we can serve Christ. Hardships, hardships and whatever thing that's just hard right now in life for you, Hardships, they do not now separate us from the love of Christ. They are now our servants. They have now brought us our meal that will sustain us and energize us to get us to glory. God will now use hardships to serve us so we can serve Christ. Cancers and diseases do not separate us from the love of God. They are now our servants. They are now grabbing our bags as God is leading us to glory. God will use them in our lives to serve us so that we can serve Christ. Disagreements in the church do not separate us from the love of Christ or the body of Christ. God is for us. Disagreements are now our servants. God will use them to serve us and humble us and make us more like Christ. We are more than conquerors. They now serve us so we can serve Christ. So because I am in Christ, I am now more than a conqueror. I can tell my vertigo to grab my bags. I can tell anxiety to get me a snack. And I can tell my fear of man issues to pull the car around. I need to go serve Christ today. Because these things have not separated me from the love of Christ. They have only served to solidify me in the love of Christ. And they now serve me so I can serve him. I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me.
Oh, church, since you, you, you see, since God is for us, nothing can separate us from God's love. These things now only solidify us in God's love. They root us in God's love. It's his way of holding fast onto us because we are more than conquerors. I know suffering doesn't always feel great. It doesn't always feel like God is for us. Sometimes it feels like our arm being almost yanked out of socket as a father, a loving father pulls us out of traffic. But these sufferings, these hardships, these things are not separating us from the love of God. They're solidifying us in it. It's allowing us to know and experience and depend upon God's love in a deeper, more meaningful way. These things are now serving us to serve Christ. Like we talked about last week, right? So many of our trials and past trials have now become our testimonies, and they are really the the fuel that is now uh, fueling our ministries as we serve others and serve people. God has turned even suffering into a servant for his children to get them to glory. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? And I'll I'll close with this. Think of how you could live if you really believe this. This is how God wants us to live. He doesn't want us to fear every opposition or obstacle that comes against us as we carry out his work and his ways. I mean, are you fearful of something right now? Think to yourself, are you fearful of any sort of opposition or obstacle right now? Are you fearful that you don't have the energy, the ability, or the resources to do what God is calling you to do? When fear creeps in, let me remind you to look to the cross and see the gracious generosity of our God. Christ died for you when you opposed God. Will he not give us all we need now as his friends? Fear not, brother and sister, if God is for us, who can be against us? Think of how you could live if you really believed this. Maybe accusations or charges from the enemy or the world or even yourself are weigh, weighing you down right now. Maybe you've been ready to step out into faith, into something God is leading you to, but you haven't felt like you've cleaned yourself up enough yet, haven't felt like you've justified yourself enough yet to step forward. And if that's you, take heart, brother or sister. God is for us, and through faith in Christ, it is God who justifies you. No accusation from the enemy or the world or even yourself can condemn you in the courtroom of of God. I mean, think of how you could live if you really believed that. Think of how you could live if you really believed that nothing and no one can separate you from the love of Christ. That even suffering, and even when we feel like God is not for us, if we are trusting in Christ, we know that he is for us, and he has turned even our suffering into our servant to get us to glory. How are you suffering right now? I invite you to tell your suffering to grab your bags and let's get to it? Do you believe that your suffering is now serving you so that you can serve Christ? 
Your suffering is not separating you from God's love. It is, in fact, solidifying you in it. It's God's way of holding you and protecting you. Church, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's pray.